0: back to the last episode of Influx for the fall quarter. I'm Lara, and this is episode four of season two. But before we get into the episode, make sure to follow our Instagram, at scadflux, to see updates on upcoming events, to find our Discord, and more. Scadflux on Instagram will show you events like the recent workshops on Adobe After Effects, and so much more. And with that, this week, we meet Matt Walker, a senior product designer at Mailchimp. Nico and Varun got to speak with another lovely designer from Las Vegas about design systems and so much more. We hope you all enjoy our in-depth conversation and we can't wait to get started with more episodes in January. With that, take it away, Nico, Varun, and Matt.
1: Yeah, so my name's Matt Walker. I'm a senior product designer at Mailchimp. I am originally from Las Vegas, Nevada And uh, I've kind of had a scrappy background in my career. I've bounced around different places. I've had jobs outside of tech and outside of design. Um, But ultimately, you know, everything I've been doing in my past has led me here. So I feel pretty lucky for that. I started, when I first moved to Atlanta, I I worked at a smaller agency uh, for AAA, and then I moved over to Home Depot. Where I was there for four years and worked on payments, design systems, design ops, and for the past two years I've been at MailChimp where I've been working on uh, design systems.
0: Got a lot of Las Vegas uh, natives on the podcast recently.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I, I listened to your last episode and the other guy was... From Las Vegas as well. So, I'm starting to sense a
2: trend.
0: Yeah, only Vegas people on this podcast. <laughs> oh,
2: season two is just like, just Vegas people on it. Yeah,
0: just Vegas. Yeah, the Very Vegas niche. special. What's, um, I'm curious. I feel like I've asked a few people their thoughts on Las Vegas. What are your thoughts living there?
1: Yeah, um, so living in Las Vegas, I, I guess I didn't really realize how weird it is until you really move away. Mm-hmm. You know, growing up, everything is just open constantly, 24-7. Nothing really closes. Mm. Um, and you also are desensitized <clears throat> to the fact that um, slot machines are in grocery stores. They're in airports. <laughs> they're in gas stations. Um, so when I moved, you know, first away from Vegas going to San Diego— and I was just, like, weirded out. I was like, why is everything closing, like, at, like, 8 or 9 o'clock? Like, that's super weird to me. And also, where are all the slot machines? Why is, like, <laughs> hospitals don't have slot machines? That's weird. Like, why, Where where is everything? So, Wait, um, hospitals
2: have slot no, machines? No, I know. no. Way. I'm, I'm okay. being
1: so dramatic. No, no, but it, there were slot, I mean, slot machines, wherever you could put them. Like, when I had a job in high school at, the, at a grocery store, um, there would be, like, these same old ladies just sitting at the slot machines in the grocery store mm-hmm. all day. So, yeah, I kind of uh, had, like, almost, like, a little mini culture shock when I moved away and realized, like, oh, that's not normal. Like, Vegas is, like, a really weird uh Disneyland for adults, and it's it's totally, like, its own culture. Um, yeah. Yeah, other, other than that, like, honestly— I, if my family wasn't in Vegas, I probably wouldn't ever go back personally. It's it's just not some place that I super enjoy. Right. I love the nature that surrounds it. I love the fact that you can get to so many like national parks when you're there. Yeah. Um, but other than that, there's nothing really there that really has me like desiring to go back other than family.
2: Yeah. There's one thing that Savannah has common like in in common with Vegas, and that's the Like, I I forget the term for it, but it's like where you can walk around with alcohol, like without it being in a container. Um, Open
0: container. Yes, open container
2: laws. Yeah, Um, I think Savannah and Las Vegas are the only two places that actually allow it. So interesting. I did not know that. I did
1: not know Savannah allowed that. In fact, I've never been to Savannah.
2: It's like a certain part,
0: certain section of Savannah. You can not all.
1: all,
2: To be fair, it, it is a section you'd want to be in. For the most part, like if you're visiting uh, or if you're like touring. Um, But yeah, it's not not all over the city, but the chunk that matters, I guess, for tourists. Got it.
1: Yeah. In Vegas, it's weird. You have these like super tall. They almost look like I don't know. Can I say bongs? Is it, this is like a college thing, but they look like giant <laughs> bongs, but they're actually for cocktails. Like and people just like drink out of them and it's open container. It's weird. Not really my thing.
0: <laughs> like but, a boot? Um, I know, like, the boot thing is a, you know. It's
1: like a boot, boot. but it's, like, it's much taller than, like, a boot you probably have ever seen. It's weird. Yeah. I remember going once for, like, um, a New Year's event in Vegas, and it was, um, probably never do it again. It was just way too many people. (laughs) Yeah, it was a lot. (laughs) That's funny.
2: Awesome. Well, I know you briefly mentioned a few things about your career but let's let's break that down a little bit further what initially got you interested in design what did you study how did you get started in ux in specific and then all of that good stuff yeah
1: um man what got me into design i think growing up you know it really like i picked up photoshop like in high school i took a a web development class i was like lucky enough that There's a new high school being built by my house, so one of the newer things they are offering was a web development class, so I took that. And at the time, uh, we had Macromedia Fireworks, and they were trying to get us to dabble in Flash a little bit.
0: Mm. Um,
1: And obviously, like, HTML, CSS, like, some pretty basics. But that got me interested in, like, the web. Uh, Obviously, I was always hanging around, like, forums online and stuff. So when you hang around on, like, online forums, you know, back in early 2000s, you're probably, you know, creating stuff like form signatures, avatars, just like stuff form culture does. Games too. I found myself like creating like, you know, graphic design um, stuff for like sci-fi games that I'd play. A lot of my like early years were like a lot of like sci-fi games and stuff. So I spent a lot of my time doing that. I think eventually I... Got Photoshop CS1 or CS2. I don't want to say how I got it because it probably wasn't legitimate.
0: But Uh, Travis was the same way.
2: (laughs) Yeah, I I, I was also the same way in like great like when I was 12. So I'm sure everyone I feel like it's like a rite of passageway. Right. Yeah. When you you are like a teenager and have
1: access to LimeWire, um, (laughs) it's it's wild times But Yeah, so Photoshop, like CS1, CS2, I I just spent, like, my summers spending time in Photoshop and just, like, going to PSD toots and seeing, like, what what can I recreate? What can I do? And following the tutorials, and and I would just do that. Um, DeviantArt was a thing I was into. There's a ton of websites, like I remember in my early years of just, like, going and creating, like, stuff in Photoshop. You know, fast forward to, like, okay, I'm graduating high school, I don't really feel at the time that like going to school is the right thing for me or or, to be honest, I'm like Mm -hmm. really unsure that I can like do that successfully. So I really take a chance with trying to just get my foot in the door with a local marketing agency. Mm -hmm. I go up to like their window. But I, I just go up and like knock on their door because I think it's past hours, but the owner's still in there. And I'm just like, hey, I'm I'm looking for like an entry rule, like graphic design gig. Do, do you have anything? And uh, he says, yeah, I'll, I, you know, send me your stuff and then I'll email you. So I ended up sending him like an email, probably terribly formatted and with misspellings everywhere. But uh, I email him and he ends up giving me like a job. Starting on like super basic, like junior graphic design stuff with just laying out like ads. And eventually, I think I started dabbling a little bit on some stuff in the web. I was doing some print. I did that for a bit. Was it local businesses? Yeah, this was like a local, local business in Vegas. I think it was called MIM. I don't even know what it stood for it anymore. But oh, yeah. it was like a local um, marketing agency. Yeah, they did ads. They did print stuff. They did web stuff, and so that that really I don't know, got my foot in the door there, and that's kind of how it like started. From there, I just kept trying to do design. I I remember like posting to a Smashing Magazine forum like years later, trying to get more, you know, just advance my career and, and just get more experience. And I was asking around on smashing magazine forums. Like I, I don't even think I posted there much. It was just like this one time I was posting and I asked about like internships. And I think by this time I was already in San Diego with some friends and this guy responded back to my forum post about internships and he was in San Diego and he was like, Hey, we got an open spot for an intern And we could use the help. So I was like, sweet. Yeah, I'll do that. So at the time I was doing a lot of, I was a, basically I was a car washer. Like I was washing cars, I was detailing cars. And then I did valet at night. So I was working two jobs and I was able to get this internship and I was able to quit both of those jobs, which was awesome. Oh, wow. Yeah. I was like stoked and I could walk to work too. It was close enough. I could walk. So I was extremely thrilled So I worked in this uh, internship, I don't even know what my role or title was, but it was basically like, I was like a, like a web designer and the company was super generic. The name was called, uh, it was called Business Online. I'm pretty sure they're still in San Diego. Um, They, they focus mostly on like SEO stuff, but Mm. that's like a, like an example of like a smaller, did a lot of smaller agency stuff. Um, Just hop around with like smaller businesses. So yeah, I did that in San Diego and I had this weird, you know, period in my life where I was like probably from like 21 to 23 or 24, where I was just moving around a lot, trying to figure out like, what the heck do I do with my life? I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do or or how I wanted to do things. Eventually I, I found, I would return to Vegas and I found another job working for another company doing, I think it was like search verticals is what they called it. And it was like different search sites for different types of things. So I think there was a, I think they were loosely associated with uh, manufactured homes or something else with like weed maps. It was weird. They, they did a bunch of stuff. And so I did that for a bit. I, I think I was getting myself in like a bad situation financially and um, I was getting married at the time. So me and my wife were like, yeah, let's just get out of here. And so we moved to Georgia and finally left Vegas
2: why Georgia? I'm just curious.
1: Yeah, so my wife's family was in Georgia. Mm. Um, her parents were here. She had her friends here. I had, you know, I had my family in Vegas, obviously, but like I didn't feel too attached to staying in Vegas. I really wanted to just like get the heck out of there. So yeah, I moved to Georgia, and I, like I said, I, I got that job with um, AAA. It's like an agency that's funded by AAA. It's still a fairly small time. I did that for about 8 months and while I was there, I was reached out to by Home Depot. And I was like, you know, just got into to basically living closer to Atlanta and I always had heard good stuff from folks about Home Depot, so I was like, sure, let me like try it out. Like I've never had I've never worked for a public company of that size before, so I was like, let me just shoot my shot, try it out and see how it goes. And I uh, that job taught me a ton, taught me a ton about research. It taught me a ton about working with people, working in a big organization, um, strategy. It definitely leveled up my chops for like user experience. It's it was enterprise, so it's not much. It's not as as big of an emphasis on visual design. Mm. It's a bit different than say like a like a marketing centric thing. But it taught me like some really foundational things. And I was, yeah, I worked there for four years. I worked on their checkout and payments uh, systems. And I also moved from there on to design systems and design ops. And then after, I think I was promoted to staff designer for about a year after that, I then left and went to MailChimp.
2: So something I find interesting about Home Depot is that most people don't typically associate UX immediately with Home Depot, but here at GAD, I think Home Depot does have a decent presence because they always come for employer chats. Why do you think Home Depot puts such an emphasis on UX? Because I know a bunch of other, I guess, com- like retail businesses are kind of falling behind in UX, and why, why did Home Depot put so much meaning to UX?
1: That's a great question. I I want to say it has to do with the people they put in place to really drive and grow UX. One of those crucial people was, his name's Cliff Sexton. He is the, I wanna say he's the senior director now of user experience and product. Um, At the time they were growing a team. When I first joined, there were about six of us, six or seven, I might have lost count, but he was really put there to help grow UX. And Home Depot, I think, was seeing a need to really shift their approach, what they've been doing. You know, if you look at Home Depot's, like, earnings and everything from, like, a purely financial standpoint, it just keeps going up um, over the years. It's just like a ramp. Um, They keep growing in value. But I think they were seeing, you know, Amazon rise And a lot of these other retailers fall. Like Sears was like a huge retailer to fall. Um, I don't think I really realized it because like Sears wasn't really like my jam when I was Mm -hmm. a kid. But like, you know, for older folks, Sears was a big deal. Sears did a lot of huge foundational things in retail back in the day. So to see Sears fall was probably like, oh shit, we need to make sure that we don't become the next Sears. So they really heavily invested in user experience I think we grew the team from the time I joined to, like, over 100 user experience folks, researchers and designers. And our focus was on the enterprise side, so it was all about the employee's experience for Home Depot, but that oftentimes would impact the customer experience, obviously. So, like, if we're trying to make checkout more efficient in the stores, the customer's going to feel that because they're going to be able to fly right on through. So we did a lot of that. Yeah, I did a lot of research, um, learned a lot about how to do and and conduct research appropriately, taught me a lot of skills. And there were a lot of great people who worked there who still do. So yeah, super thankful for that time. That's really interesting.
0: Do you find that like a lot of this stuff that you were doing for the employees, like improving their experience was just unintentionally, like an unintended consequence was helping the consumer experience?
1: No, I actually, I would say that it was really intentional. You know, we were told to really focus on improving the experience of the employees and the tools they used every day. That's a really, that's a really hard thing to balance sometimes when you've Mm -hmm. had employees there who've been there for like 20 years And, and that's not unusual. Home Depot has a lot of employees that have been there for like decades yeah, um, it's it's not too unheard of. So when these folks start to use, you know, certain tools that they've been using for years, but they don't the tools themselves don't really evolve or scale well. You really have to go in there and understand how they like to work and what's working and what isn't for them to be able to come up with a replacement that's better, right? So it's a lot of working with the employees. Um And I think we knew that, you know, improving the employee experience is also improving the customer experience. I think there is a Bernie Marcus, I think one of the founders of Home Depot had this quote of like, you know, taking care of the employees. I'm going to butcher this quote, but it's basically the essence of like taking care of the employees takes care of the customer and everything else will take care of itself. Right. So that that was kind of like the, the thing we were told to focus on. Um, and I think it paid off. I, I think Home Depot does pretty well UX wise. Yeah, I would say so.
2: Yeah, one well, one of my favorite things about Home Depot, like at least in terms of small UX stuff, is like if you ever need an item, like you can just search it up on the app and it'll tell you which aisle it's in the store. All stores need to do this. Um yeah. I know Kroger does it also. Um but like it's just it's just convenient. Like you don't need to ask anyone if you have the website open, it's, it's there for you to know. Yeah, there I mean
1: there'd be times when I even as an employee would use the app because it's just so good. Like it just worked out really well. So trying to bring that same like ease of use to like every part of an employee's experience is pretty huge. And I think that's like where they're at. So yeah, it's it's pretty great. They they do a good job. Um and I'm excited. They they have a um a pilot store up here in Kennesaw, just a little bit what, north of uh, Atlanta, and if you ever, I don't know why you would be over there, but if you are over there, you can check out the store, and you can see some of, like, super experimental things they're trying. They do a lot of, um, they have, like, this um, flat screen in one of the aisles where you can go up to, and I think it'll tell you, like, how to do certain, like, installs or something, like, if you're trying to figure something out. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of like educational stuff they're putting in the stores. It's pretty neat.
0: That is cool. I actually <laughs> I am in Kennesaw pretty often, like twice a quarter because that's how I get to Savannah. So Nice. I actually <laughs> might check well,
1: cool. it out. Yeah, yeah, you can check it out. It's like it's their I think they call it like their future store, right? That's where they do all like the right bleeding bleeding edge stuff.
0: Yeah. Can't kind of like the um Amazon Go in Seattle. It's right, like it's exactly. So how does your role at MailChimp differ from the one that you had at Home Depot?
1: Yeah, uh, th- it differs quite a bit. I mean, it's it's a different company with a different culture, with a different you know organization. So it, it's really hard to compare even just like being a senior designer somewhere, somewhere like Home Depot and a senior designer at MailChimp, even just by nature of like... Home Depot being public and then MailChimp being private, obviously that's changing soon. But yeah, um, my focus, for instance, like at Home Depot, we had to really be good at a lot of different things like research, usability testing, design, um, even sometimes, you know, being a product manager when needed. Yeah. A lot of hats. I find that my role at MailChimp is a little different where I can really focus a little deeper on a particular role. Not to say that I don't care about research or usability. It's just right. that we have really smart people who can help out with that instead of everything resting just on my shoulders, which is really nice.
0: And was that at like the beginning of Home Depot, uh, when you got to Home Depot, you were wearing a lot of hats and then it yeah. transitioned, yeah. I'm assuming? I, yeah.
1: I think for the first... You know, two or three years that I was there, it was a lot of hats, but I I noticed that they they definitely started hiring more like researchers to really right. take over a lot of that work, which was really helpful because like, obviously, yeah. I love huge advocate of research, but I I feel strongly about researching my own work and usability testing my own work. I would rather somebody else's eyes be on that mm, mm-hmm. so that they can really check it. Um, it's like peer reviewing, right? You look yeah. over each other's work. So I think it's really important for that
2: yeah. practice
1: to be put in place.
2: Yeah, totally. And can you talk a little bit more about your role at MailChimp? I know you oh, mentioned yeah. design systems, but just dive into that a bit more.
1: Yeah, totally. So I was initially hired on to work on the marketing design system. That was what back in 2019. The scope of what I'm doing now is has grown a bit. I'm now working on bringing everything, brand, marketing, product design, content, everything into one system, one place. So I'm really thinking about, it, it's almost a, like calling it a design system feels uh, kind of small. We've been kind of using the term experience system where it's like everything, like literally not just digital, but it can be events. it can be literally anything where where Mailchimp is a touch point for the customer, like we want to talk about how that experience should like be created, employee experience too. so this this role at Mailchimp is really having me dive a lot deeper into systems and solving you know not just system problems but like a lot of people problems too, right? Systems take a lot of people sometimes, and it takes working really collaboratively. So, most of the issues like that we have are, are really just like working with people and figuring out how to best serve people. So that's kind of where my heads at.
0: That sounds uh really cool
2: to me. <laughs> so, just a question: because you started on the marketing team, um, yeah, when you created the I guess or the marketing design system, when you created the marketing design system. What tool were you using? Because I know Figma, and we we're, we're we plan on talking a little bit about Figma with you. But I know Figma is the one that's kind of per- pervasive in the industry right now. <laughs> but marketing doesn't necessarily always work on Figma, or at least that's not the intention of what Figma was created for. Um, yeah. Was it was it Figma what you guys were using?
1: Yeah. So uh, just to be clear too. Like I'm didn't completely finish the marketing system at all that's mm. all still like work in progress but yeah Figma was like a new thing I had to learn when I joined MailChimp I actually didn't use Figma too heavily when I joined in 2019 I was still in Sketch and so yeah cu- coming on to join MailChimp I, I learned I had to pick up Figma um, which was actually at first it was like it was a little bumpy because I was just trying to like connect the dots with like shortcuts and like how Sketch understood you know like artboards versus like frames and how they were different. So yeah, tooling's tooling is like no big deal though. It's just a tool, so like given enough time, you can learn any tool. But it was really fun. So yeah, we we basically have all the designers on Figma. The only exception might be for Brand you know obviously still going to use illustrator photoshop whatever tools that they need but most of the designers are in figma and we get a lot of collaboration with folks in figma too like product managers engineers even marketing folks especially at fig jam fig jam is awesome so we get to you know do critiques we get to do prioritization all sorts of meetings kind of end up in fig jam too so it's it's really fun
2: yeah, so I alluded that we want to talk a little bit more about Figma. And one of the things is there's like a certain fascination within the UX community about the tool. Like everyone's hyping it up. There's like at SCAD, there's this thing where we kind of get trolled, <laughs> like as UX majors, for how much we love it. Like every, they use it for, like, it's UX oriented. majors use Figma for everything, like presentations. Like sometimes people use it in a graphic design class when the professor explicitly says InDesign. Um, because it has better type tools and people end up using figma and it's, it's just this whole thing as someone that uses figma on the regular basis and i guess even shares assets on the figma community what makes the tool so special to you just to totally own up like i used to be
1: that Person that would be like, why is everyone so into Figma? Like, why is everybody drinking the Kool-Aid? What is the deal? And then I was like, all right, let me see what this is about. And then all of a sudden I was drinking the Kool-Aid. And I was like, damn, this thing, this is actually a really cool tool. And I didn't think like I would care about being collaborative with like mm-hmm. cursors side by side working together in that way. But it, it actually, especially in a pandemic, like everyone's remote, it's, it's really helped a lot. So wait, sorry, go back to your question
2: again. What'd you ask? <laughs> what makes the tool so special to you? Oh, yeah. So wh- why do you think it resonates with so many people? Honestly,
1: I, I think it's two things. One, it is hyped up a lot. It is hyped. There's a lot of hype, and I think that drives, obviously, interest. So you can attribute that to maybe, like, great marketing. I think the other thing is, it's a special tool because... It it does allow you to be in the same space as your coworkers. It does allow you to really communicate and walk through things with a lot of ease. The one thing that Figma, like the Figma team does really well is that they really provide the right features and details on what's coming. And I want to say like they, they recently had a huge release where it wasn't even a bunch of huge features that were released but they they really fine fine-tuned and optimized a bunch of aspects of Figma and just doing like little things like that just to fine-tune people's you know workflows was like super huge and i think that gets overlooked a lot because you know companies are always expecting that they have to release like huge massive features to stay relevant but it was really like just being able to like fine-tune like a workflow or making something, you know, a few less keystrokes or whatever it might be. Those are like the little things that are really going to have people stick with your tool because you're going to make it really hard to leave when it's so easy to work in. And so I think they do a great job at that. I mean, even just like showing some coworkers like the cursor chat. I don't know if you've messed with that a little bit. but that I was going to ask you about that. (laughs) Right, like that's like a little thing that's like kind of fun, obviously, but... It's like when I'm hopping into somebody's file and I need to ask them a quick question, they're right there, and I like they're moving around. Like, you can't bump into each other in the hallway anymore, right? You can't be in the same space all the time. So, I think it's almost like instead of bumping into each other in the hallway and chatting real quick or asking about something, like you're bumping into each other on Figma and doing that. So, it's it's almost creating like this digital workspace, and I think that's what makes it pretty special. Yeah.
2: I think there's, like, two things that you said that kind of stand out to me. Like, for one, is like, their, I guess, shorter product cycle, where they kind of are updating very frequently. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, as, as opposed to, like, Apple or, like, like iOS and stuff, like, you get that one big update every year, November. Figma, like, I feel like bi-weekly, there's, like, this new small feature, at least. And then even that could be, like, oh, my God, it's a game changer, because it just might save me five seconds ten million times. So, that saves right. me a lot of time over... A big chunk of (laughs) over a long period of time, Um, and the second thing—oh my god—I blanked. Uh, It was towards (laughs) something you said towards the end, but
1: if I remember all, I I can give you another example too. Like the the recent updates for like pasting um, different types of copying and pasting, basically. Like Mm -hmm. we copy and paste all day, but I recently used the paste in place feature they just added, and I was like. Shit, like that just works really well. Like I just had to like change up something across like five art or five frames. Um I'm gonna say artboards, um, <laughs> but I had to change up something across like five different frames, and I could just now paste that across all five in there, like in the right position. and Like just like that sounds so like small and like it doesn't matter, but it's like it saved me some time, so I could focus on some other stuff. So it does matter.
2: And I actually remember the second thing, and I think you kind of allude to it with the cursor chat, is that Figma does spatial design pretty well. Like, compared, mm-hmm. like I don't think spatial design, we're still kind of at the beginning of learning how to do spatial design in general. There's a few apps that are really trying to push it forward, and I think Figma has been one of the first ones to do that. So I think that's what, like, part of it, that's what makes it fascinating, and that's a sort of different mental models using it, where the, the canvas is kind of more than just the place to draw, it's also this place to interact with people. 100%.
0: Yeah, that's something. Um, me and Varun are currently in a graphic design class, and that's something that I realize how much I love that aspect of Figma when you use a tool that's not Figma, and then you're like so frustrated by <laughs> not having that. I did want to ask you about way before you talked about how people like engineers and different people within the company are often using Figma and getting on Figma. Mm -hmm. What is that like? Because I know, at least in my experience, there is somewhat of a steep learning curve, like briefly, and then people get the hang of it. So what is that like bringing on these people who might not be familiar with it?
1: Yeah, I I would say that's accurate, like about the steep learning curve at first, because at first it seems really overwhelming. There's if you're somebody coming from like brand design. You're an illustrator, or, or you're you're just mostly used to like Adobe products. When you come into Figma, it initially feels like a completely different world. But I, I think there's there's some ways to like break that down and make it a little bit less intimidating. Yeah. There's like shortcuts that are. I notice a lot of the shortcuts across design tools are starting to like really sync up. Like, I think the value, recognizing the value in keeping shortcuts similar across tooling has become a thing because then that obviously makes it easier to like transition. Mm -hmm. So there's that. I think there's also giving people the space to like experiment and try things. And just the other day I was, I was walking through some auto layout stuff and initially like sometimes auto layout, like I'm, it throws me off sometimes and I have to go and investigate like, okay, what did I do? Did I like over engineer this component? Did I like, use auto layout unnecessarily when I didn't need to cuz that can definitely happen if you're not careful. But uh yeah, I I have recently spent a lot of time like showing like content writers or content strategists and brand designers and even some engineers like how to use mm-hmm. Figma. I think I was having an office hour with a front-end engineer and they were just trying to fix some icons for something they didn't have like a dedicated designer on their team mm-hmm. but they just needed help because they knew something with like an icon was messed up so just showing them how to use the pen tool and they were able to like fix whatever the issue was so yeah. initially i think it is like it feels kind of scary but i think once people dive into it there's a lot of resources out there too that can help people like really understand figma but yeah it does take a little time at first just to work with folks it can just be sketching some time and just walking them through like here's auto layout, here's how it works. Here's some shapes, throw them into like a frame, turn on auto layout and watch people kind of, the light bulb tick on
2: and they start to really get it. Mm-hmm. I think auto layout's also easier for developers to understand, cause mm-hmm. it's kind of modeled off of Flexbox yeah. or HTML. So I like, as someone that likes to code himself, like I love auto layout. I probably like the biggest advocate here at SCAD for it. Whenever I can, I try to make sure people are using auto layout at least when it's necessary. So I, I do think for developers, it's a great tool because for them, even if like kind of, I guess, taking a design into production becomes a little bit easier because they know how it's structured. So, yeah, I've just found that really, really cool that I guess Figma is kind of taking a little bit from the world of developers and integrating it for designers because it honestly makes designers' lives easier and developers' lives easier in the, in the long term.
1: I was gonna say, I, I like. I think Figma is like only. It's only like the beginning of where these tools are gonna go. I I think we're gonna see a, some wild design software stuff happen in our lifetime. Like we're gonna see some pretty amazing stuff, where it's gonna be less tedious. Like, should I really have to place? Like, should I really have to you know come up with like an iteration for this particular page? Or can this thing just like? you know, come up with like 10 mock-ups for me, right? Um, so automating the things we can so that yeah. we can actually focus on the bigger problems.
2: Yeah, and the big, big thing I'm interested in seeing Figma move forward currently is prototyping tools. I think they're they're kind of nailing design tools right now, but yeah. the one place I could critique Figma would probably be prototyping. Yeah. Oh, I, I'd agree.
1: Um, yeah. I, I see folks post pictures of their like prototype spaghetti Where it's like lines, there's like 50 frames, and there's lines going everywhere, and like you could do that, you could also just choose not to. Don't choose violence, and just don't do that. (laughs) Really, like, what is that worth the time to prototype all of those screens? Like, or could you just like, you know, partner with like an engineer and like get that all done? It just seems like a lot of work, but I would I would agree on the prototyping side of things. Even just doing something simple, like exporting a, a GIF or a movie or, you know, whatever it might be, could be a lot simpler. Yeah, But mm-hmm. I'm like, I am would not be shocked if they had something in the works to improve prototyping.
2: Oh, yeah, I, I feel pretty confident that they'd probably do, because even performance on prototyping can get pretty thing. Oh, I think yeah. they're probably, they might be doing something like in yeah. the back end to make that better. Like, I I would be surprised if they're not. Even if some of the sci-fi, like the FUI, the yeah. stuff
1: that I've been dabbling in, like I've definitely have caused Figma to break. I think, or like <laughs> at least lag, because I'm I'm trying to do so much with transitions and frames and yeah. interactions that it just can't like handle it, so it lags a little bit.
2: Yeah, I will say one big move that they've made in like prototyping is interactive components love interactive components, I think love it. that's a game changer, but um, I'm interested to see them keep developing that, and because you mentioned fictional or, like, future fantasy fake UI, I have to mention that I really appreciate some of the share that stuff that you share on the Figma community. I'm actually doing a class this quarter where we're designing the dashboard of a hovercraft, like, and we're going to take it to Unity, and your Star Wars and your drone FUI, like, stuff that you put on community, <laughs> was part of the inspiration, so... Oh, um, I'm I'm glad
1: you, uh, you were able to get some use out of it. I'm apologize that it's all incomplete. I that's my thing. I love to, <laughs> I love to like publish very incomplete things constantly. Um, I'll work on that.
2: Honestly, um, it was just like during like the brainstorming part where we were just gra- gathering a lot of visual reference. I think the direction that we ended up going in is a little bit different from that. But even then, it was just great seeing ui that's a little out there because honestly i was just reading an article like yesterday um but it was like talking about how design has kind of become a little boring uh arguably yeah and less stylized Mm -hmm. and it's partly because we do stuff in the name of the user that's part of our job but at the same time we're not really pushing the medium forward so it's just cool seeing stuff like that like I know there's a few studios that just do like exclusively like film UI stuff. And that's mm-hmm. always super cool.
1: Yeah, I kind of, I mean, like I do rectangles all day, right? Like sometimes you just need to do something that's not just a rectangle. <laughs> but I I do enjoy dabbling in like looking at film UI, looking at, you know, game UI. I think that's obviously like, like, I, it's kind of like a common theme throughout, my design career is, like, I'm always interested in, like, sci-fi shit, and so, like, if I can look at a movie and just kind of, like, try to dissect, like, what they were thinking when they tried to, like, create the, whatever the, like, what was I looking at yesterday? Uh, I just started watching, like, the first episode of, like, Foundation on Apple TV. Mm-hmm. So, like, they, they obviously have, like, UI all around, so I'm, like, trying to figure out, like, okay, <laughs> what was the brief? How did they figure out how to, you know, design it in that way? And this book I read, it's literally called, I think it's just called F.U.I. And it goes into like, you know, you treat interfaces for film like it's its own character. It's playing a role and it it has a job to do. So like, what is its What's that job? What is it trying to communicate and how does it like aid the story? And so that's a whole different like part of my brain that I'm like. Oh yeah. Like I, I could probably like go deeper here and like learn more about this. And like, maybe it does have some things that it can like teach me about, you know, working on like marketing software or design systems or whatever it might be. But it's also just like, honestly, just like fun to think about the future and what, what does human computer interaction look like in the future? So yeah, I do like to do that quite a bit.
2: And it's going to get interesting as users kind of start aging with technology or aging with, like, with all this tech around them. I would presume that we get smarter with how we use our technology. So does it doesn't mean that we have to be as careful anymore in 10 years um, about what color a button is. If it's, oh. like, this tint of red versus that tint of red. Goodness, I hope not. Um, <laughs> I hope we don't have the same, like, conversations
1: we have today about UI. <laughs> In, like, 10 years. I I feel, I hope, like, kind of what you said earlier, like, yeah, design is kind of, like, getting kind of boring because we're figuring out, like, the recipes to recreate or do certain things, and those recipes are just getting reused. You know, a very easy example of that is, like, every site right now has, like, some sort of huge hero on it. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it kind of works for, like, if your goal is to, like bring attention to a particular thing and then, like, convert somebody to, like, a user. And, you're pro- like, you're probably going to do this one thing that you've seen a hundred other times that has also worked for others. It's kind of cool that we can reuse patterns, but it does, yeah, it does get boring. It does. So that, that leads me to think, like, okay, we need to, like, dig deeper and try something different. Um, or we need to be okay with those patterns and then solve harder problems because maybe that's solved. Yeah. But I was going to say that it, it, I guess it depends on what, like what your background is, where you come from. Cause I could see folks who have more of a traditional, like graphic design background being really tired of, of the patterns and being like, we got to do something else. But then if you're somebody who's in UX, I could see some folks being like, yeah, that's just what it is. (laughs)
2: <laughs> yeah for sure something that my one of my friends just mentioned earlier today and i'm not sure if this is 100 true because i was a little shocked when i heard it um but he told me that google's abandoning material for ios and they're going to use like ios like cupertino style stuff interesting and i don't know how i feel about that because i would hate for all iphone apps to look like they were designed by apple to be fair like mm-hmm. yeah that is not the world like i, I think apple's designs like worked really well for them but that would be a very boring future to live in yeah
1: as as much as i appreciate apple for certain things except the magic mouse but <laughs> yeah it would be it would get really tiring to just see everything look and feel like apple
0: magic mouse is a huge fumble just want to point that out huge it's yeah. horrible
1: yeah, it's it's like this feeling of shame every time you realize, oh, my mouse is going to die, and you have to just let it sit there upside down, <laughs> just sitting on your desk. I don't know. It's kind of depressing.
0: I think that's one of the funniest, I guess, product design things I've ever seen. Like, how did you miss that, that you cannot use this if it needs it's, to charge?
1: So some people justify it by saying, you know, Apple thought really hard about the wires and they thought about the experience or or how it looks um, Mm -hmm. when you have a cord, right? And you're using like a mouse with a cord plugged into it. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know if that was the right bet to make. I don't know if, if they made the right decision, but I think they were going more for aesthetic appeal and simplicity of like you know, you don't have to sit there and use your mouse with it plugged in with a cord. I don't know how that's better than having to wait for your mouse when it's upside down. I don't know. It is a strange decision. I would argue, honestly, Apple's... Like, you can see, like, I, I use a Logitech. You know, MX. What is this? MX3. I find it to be, like, a really comfortable mouse. has all the buttons I need. And... I need to charge it. I just plug it in. No sweat. I don't even think about it. Right. The fact that Apple has caused me to make, to make me think about the mouse so much, I think is an issue. So that mm-hmm. kind of speaks to itself a little bit.
0: I definitely think personally, Apple leans towards like form over function and mm-hmm. form is, which I think honestly is, is respectable to some degree because there's not a lot of companies that might do that. Um, but when I see, I guess I'm just very uh <laughs> functional oriented. And when I see something like that, I'm like, yikes. Um, but moving on, uh, how has the field of UX evolved while you've been working in it or around it? Oh gosh. Or devolved. I'm not trying evolved. to lead you with any, <laughs> with any answers.
1: You know, I don't I don't know if I can. Speak to this well, because I feel like there's a ton of other people who have a much deeper, deeper experience, but also a better grasp on the field. I think there's, you know, there's people I, and I've come across this when I've interviewed folks is that there's people who've been doing technically what we call UX for much longer than it was an actual thing, like defined by like HR as like a role and title. So, where is it going? I don't know. Like, I listen to a lot of other leaders in this space, and one thing I think I can agree with is that it feels like where UX is right now is it's really serving the business goals and less. It got UX has gotten really good about serving business. I would love to see how UX can serve society better and become less less user focused and more society focused. And that means considering systems and how they work together and how they how different systems connect. And that also means really considering the work you're doing and how it impacts the rest of society. And that's just is that's so much harder to do sometimes. Um, a lot of times, honestly, it just takes a lot of consideration and care. So I, I could see, I hope to see like the industry skew more towards society centric, society focused design.
0: Yeah. I think that's a really good point. I think I know a few people within UX, within SCAD, who share a lot of that same sentiment. It's like, why am I, (laughs) why are we only focused about business, business, business? Um,
1: Yeah. Yeah. Like nobody wakes up and is like, I cannot wait to make, you know, whatever CEO more money or I can't wait to wake up and create more shareholder value. Like, no. Right. Right. Nobody cares about that. What we care about is like a more equitable world, a world that works for everyone. Everyone can prosper. Everyone can have their needs met. And I think those are the things that I care more about. And I would would like to see, you know, tech and our practice become more focused on. Yeah. But I think that's going to take time and effort. And we're just not there yet. I think we're it's it's small wins and shifts are happening, but yeah, I think it's just like acknowledging that like, oh, design has become like we got a seat at the table, and then our seat's been used to like advance it, it basically advance like the goals of capitalism and business, and it's like, oh, yeah, this seat <laughs> sucks. Can I get a new table? Like,, I, this table's not any fun.
0: That's funny. Maybe the um, I bet the CEOs they are the ones that get excited about increasing their revenue and stuff. But yeah maybe not us.
2: And with that there's a brief talk about systems so that was one of the big reasons we wanted to have you on today. That's right. That's right. Um, <laughs> I know it took a little while to get there but um, we have a few questions regarding design systems. It's a topic that gets covered here at SCAD but not really in depth and then a lot of it is very theoretical and not directly applicable. So we'd love for you to take us through some of the basics of a design system. Could you just start off by explaining what a design system is? Um, And you even mentioned experience systems earlier. So like, I'd love for you to define both of them.
1: Yeah. Okay. Let me, I will do my best to not butcher this too much. So what is a design system? You know, there's been so many definitions given for a system that I've ran across and I've heard. I think the the one that really sticks out to me is a design system is is a collection of decisions. It's basically where where you document all your decision making. So it could be the things that we agree upon. So we agree, you know that these are the buttons we use, these are the colors, these this is the spacing, these are the code snippets we use, these are the tokens. We're we're putting basically everything that we have established and agreed upon in the system. I I think that I I can't remember who gave that sort of definition for it, but I I think it really stands out to me. You know, I could tell you quickly, like, also what a design system isn't. I'll try not to be snarky, but like, (laughs) it's, I think I see a lot of like UI kits being broadcast as like design systems. And it's like, no, that's, that's just a you UI. Know, like, that's not the whole thing. The whole thing is like this, these pieces that come together and allow people to like, start speaking the same language, using the same tools and resources to build a thing that's larger than themselves. So, you're building this giant experience, and the system is enabling you to do that. But also, people enable systems. So, it's a give and take, right? So we, systems need people and people need systems. And so I think both of those work together, right? Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Any questions about that definition before I continue (laughs) with the experience one?
2: I think something interesting about what you said is, like, I guess the definition itself was interesting because you said a set of decisions or like centralizing the decisions you've made. And something that comes back up, I guess, with the UI kit part is, the UI kit, it might just be a kit, but... Um, and the design systems that I've seen, they explain why they made that decision, mm-hmm. um, why it works for that reason. Um, and there's like the documentation part of it. It's not just the, it's not just the element itself. It's right. the element diving into why they did that. And so it's it's really this home for, like you said, decisions. And then yeah. everyone can doesn't need to make decisions. It's less decision making. It's just taking the decision that's already been made and just applying it elsewhere.
1: Yeah, and it is it. To to back to what you said too about how people are using the system. Um, I think it's it's easy to get the recipe wrong if you're not careful. So you can be really fantastic with documentation, and you can document every single little thing. But if you're not making the system. Easy to use, like if it's not easy for me to pull down the system into my environment that I'm coding in, if it's not easy for me to find the components or or the UI kit, there's going to be, it's going to be hard. So you have to really balance all these things. Is like, I can't have too much documentation and I can't have too little documentation. And I need the right assortment of components, not too many, not too little, just cover the real foundational kind of core basics that everyone needs the common problems everyone has and start there. And you can begin to create like a really solid system, but then even then you're not done yet. You still need people. You need to work with people. You have to create ways to work with others, feedback loops. um, You know, look at how people build products in your organization today and figure out what's working and what's not working. And you'll begin to, spot some opportunities for like systems to like hop in and help.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess what's interesting about why design systems take so long to make even is because like you said, they are a set of decisions and decision-making is hard and it takes energy. So once that energy is taken up, obviously it makes it a lot easier for the future. So that idea of kind of conserving energy is very interesting. Mm Yeah.
1: It does take a while. Because systems overlap between so many groups, so many, not, not just groups um, outside the system, of the, uh, every, all the teams that adopt the system and take it, and you have to be very considerate about how you impact others. But you also have to think about, like, internally, those who work on, a, obviously, everyone who works on systems, teams are different, you might have one or two people supporting your system, or you might have like 20 or 22. So it just takes a lot of time when there's a lot of people. And I think it's important to take that time now to really get things thought through. Obviously, I, I'm not a huge fan of of spending like a year on an MVP and then releasing it. You can start small and then keep iterating and growing bigger when it comes to systems, but like start with the most common problem people have and start providing solutions for those things. And I think that tends to work. I think when this when I, I'm sort of learning and growing right now around systems when it comes to how to pull in brand guidelines,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, content guidelines how to pull in product guidelines, marketing guidelines, how to pull in all these things that could have separate systems all on their own, but you now have to bridge all this together to talk about, one, how do we build an experience together across all these disciplines and, and resources, and how do we make this really easy to use for everyone, easy to understand. And how do you bring all this wealth of knowledge and expertise together in a way that people can navigate it all? It's, uh, it's really, yeah, it's really challenging to try to take a brand system, a marketing system product and bridge all that together all in one place. I don't think there's a lot. I'm trying to think of some solid examples out there that exist of that being done. And at least externally, there's not, I don't see a lot of it.
0: Yeah. Kind of on that topic of like where you start, do you have like any advice for how to approach design systems, maybe looking at like junior designers, how they get started with design systems, anything like that?
1: Yeah. if If you're a designer who's earlier in their career, um, just starting out trying to get an experience, you want to learn more about systems, I would, it sounds cliche, but like, look, look at the books that talk about design systems. Um, well, I have, I have a huge selection here. Um, so yeah, like design systems. I'm going to butcher this name. Ala Kamatova, I think. That's the, yeah, so Design Systems by Ala Kalmatova. I'm sorry if I butchered the last name there. Please edit that out. I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, big red book. Um, that's great to start with. Um, if you talk about Flow, Psychology of Optimal Experience, I'm not going to attempt to pronounce the name because I know I'm going to butcher it. Um, but Flow is a great book. Um, Design Systems Handbook Envision uh, put up I think they I don't know if this is a book you can buy I I have it in book form But there's also, you can look it up online And then Hack the Design Systems, great Atomic Design Systems Are great by um, Brad Frost There's there's tons of great books at this point Out there, so I, I think anyone Starting out should Definitely first read and Understand systems, what they are how they work and start thinking about how to have sort of a systems mindset. And so what I mean by that is I think a lot of times designers, when you're working on a product team, you can get very focused on your own lane, almost like tunnel vision. And um, you start to forget how your product may impact other teams or Or what sort of problems are being solved in other spaces? So I I think it's important to take a step back, zoom out, and think about the solutions you're coming up with and how they might consider the entire experience. So are you solving problems in the same way that other people are solving the same problems? Are you growing or, or establishing some sort of relationship with other designers and other teams? A lot because a lot like I said a lot of this these are people problems, right so relationships with people come in to play a ton you you have to have a good relationship with people, so making connections and you know i'm i'm definitely i would not say I'm like the a a super lead expert on design systems um there' there's much smarter people who I think are I look up to um when it comes to systems. But I want to say starting, starting with relationships and looking at the wealth of knowledge that's out there already with books, blogs, um, follow some great folks on Twitter who are in systems. I think there's a Twitter list I can share and there's just a ton of people. Um, you know, I think about Nathan Curtis who posts on Medium with eight shapes there's so many good blog posts in there. Practical things um, that will teach you how to operate a system. You know, go to go to conferences, go to Clarity, um, sign up for Figma's next design systems conference. There's a ton. There's like so much knowledge about systems out there and it's super easy to get involved in, and learn. But it just comes down to designing for one, to designing for many and figuring out how to scale your approach and your thinking to be adaptable. And yeah, ultimately just like serve very common problems across the spaces in the same way. Sorry, that was a long spiel.
2: (laughs) The question I guess that comes up out of that is when do you know it's time to create a design system? Is it something you should do from the start or is it something that kind of pops up?
1: Yeah, I I don't recommend starting with a system like if you're joining a startup or something and your first idea is to like start a design system, it that's probably a little too soon. I don't I don't quite recommend it because one, like I don't think the scale of a startup necessarily necessitates the need for a system yet. I think definitely keep it in your back pocket, keep it mindful, and start to see like I think there's there's some maybe like flags you can watch out for to tell if it, you're ready for a system. So like one how are all the designers communicating with each other or how are all the just the teams working out of communicating? Is everything staying fairly cohesive and co- consistent? Like are y'all sharing the same code? Are you communicating well with each other? If, that, if that's still good, if that's not a huge challenge, or if that takes a little effort to correct, yeah, you don't need a system. You're still good. The thing that the systems solve is the scale and complexity of having a ton of people try to work on what's supposed to be a cohesive experience. But now there's so many people involved, it's so difficult to maintain that scale without like an established system in place. So I I would say, yeah, I would I would caution anyone against starting up a design system um super early. However, if you want to start a UI kit, that's different. That's not a design system, but a UI kit is still helpful, right? Because that can be shared across all the other designers. You can all be sharing the same buttons with your same front end. It's it's um it's really easy. You can start to maybe establish some tokens and like Maybe it's not that a system is like, okay, we're going to launch a system and then you build it. But maybe it's something that is just like slowly growing over time. And then at some point in the future, it's like, oh, shit, we have a system. Like, we've been documenting all these tokens naturally. We've been sharing this UI kit. And all of a sudden, one day, you you have a system. Not to say that you're going to accidentally, like, stumble upon a design system, You do have to be intentional. You do have to really put some thought and effort into it. But there's some, like, little things you can do to maybe get started that are not all the way, like, a full-fledged system. So, yeah, those are just some of the ways.
0: Awesome. Well, I think that was the end of our, uh, I guess, more formal questions. (laughs) Um, But at the end of every podcast, we like to ask some rapid-fire, hot-take-type questions. The questions that are going to get you in trouble for answering. Sweet. (laughs) So we'll start it off really easy. I think I saw you share your screen earlier, so I think I know the answer to this. But Mac or PC?
1: I mean, personally, if I had a choice, I'm in the Mac environment. I'd rather use a Mac. Like, I have AirPods. I've got an Apple Watch. I've got an iPhone. Like, I'm invested in the ecosystem at this point. Mm Mm-hmm.
2: Um, any design trends that you dislike
1: Design trends That I dislike uh, You know I, I don't know if I I honestly don't think I have any hot takes on design trends The The thought that there's Trends themselves though is like kind of like These really trends There's always going to be design trends um, I think people I think neomorphism Tried to become a thing But I think people were like Okay we're over this I honestly can't think of a super relevant design trend right now that is like making waves. Mm-hmm. Like what? I don't know. What do you define as a design trend? Like are NFTs de- are a design trend? I don't. I don't think so. <laughs> right.
2: That that that's a tricky one. <laughs> yeah. Right. So like,
1: what is a design trend?
2: I guess typically we see it as visual design trends. To be fair, because honestly, design encompasses a lot of things, but typically when people say that, it does come down to visual design, like you mentioned with new morphism.
1: Yeah. Okay. Visual. So visual design trends. Um, honestly, I'm kind of into it, right? I, th- I actually don't have, I think I'm getting like old. Like I don't have a lot of hot takes or complaints anymore about design trends. I think I used to, I like, I used to really care but like design trends come and go constantly. So if like people want to experiment with like, what's the thing now? What are we doing lately? Um, you know, mixing serifs with sans serifs in the same paragraph. Like, cool, I can get behind that. That's kind of dope. A lot of type foundries are doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, I can I can appreciate trying something. Probably It's probably been done before, but it's catching a little bit more steam lately. Everything is embracing sort of this, it's not brutalist, it's sort of like, almost like anti-establishment design where everything is like, not quite Craigslist looking, but almost, Mm -hmm. but it's not tight, it's not completely brutalist either. I don't know what to call it, but it's like very like um, anti-establishment is probably what I would call it
2: nico you can take the next hot take yeah
0: this why don't we do a two-parter for this one because they're kind of related coke or pepsi
1: i'm in atlanta so if i say pepsi i'm <laughs> likely to get like people with torches outside my apartment so i'm i'm going to say coke <laughs> okay and i'm blinking my eyes for help
0: <laughs> <laughs> and then uh favorite fast food sort of related
1: favorite fast foods oh hands down taco bell
0: Oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, I was going to say, I don't think you need to say Chick-fil-A just because you're in Atlanta, but...
1: No, no, I, I don't. It's no, not there yet. I'm, I'm like a big Taco Bell person. Like, cheesy gordita crunch, Baja Blast, let's go. I'm down. <laughs> let's go. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what about favorite movie? Uh, music streaming platform? Spotify. Spotify?
1: Yeah, I'm all about Spotify. I'm actually a huge fan of Spotify. I have, like, some Figma... Project, something published with Spotify. Um, Yeah, super dig Spotify.
2: What about Spotify?
1: Well, I used to be totally invested in iTunes and having, like, I don't know, like, somewhere between me buying CDs, having all my music in iTunes, somewhere along the way there, then having, like, an iPod, and then that changed... Along the way, I think maybe I had a Pandora account, but now I'm like totally, I've been using Spotify for years now.
2: What about Spotify? For a lot of people I know it's like the algorithm and like the songs that they get recommended, but is it something else for you? Um, I think they have
1: great recommendations. Like I find it really easy to find like new music that I really enjoy. Discover Weekly, Mm -hmm. great idea. They, you can also share you can send a link to someone. I think you have to do it through the phone app, but you can send a link and do a blend playlist where it will find the things you have in common with someone. So like if you two have like similar music tastes or like where you overlap, it will then generate a playlist for both of you that has new music that you might be interested in based off your own taste, but also maybe some things that like are new. They do a lot of things with, like, social... It's, like, social music sharing and, like, how you relate to another person's taste. Like, I I think that stuff's really interesting, and Mm -hmm. I I love discovering new music constantly.
2: Right. Um, Nico kind of stuttered a little bit when he said music streaming, and and he said movie instead. But now (laughs) that you brought that up, favorite, like, like video streaming platform?
1: Oh. Hmm that's hard because i i mooch all of my streaming applications off my siblings so i mean i use them all hbo max comes like is is a pretty big winner for me because yeah. you've got fresh prince on there i think it's still on there um you've got family matters i mean you've got some of the latest top movies coming on hbo max it's just kind of hard to beat. Paramount Plus, like, I could probably do without, right? <laughs> but HBO Max, like, like I that would be, like, kind of like, damn, like, this is my favorite shows on HBO Max.
2: I'm curious because this is the first time it's been asked. Nico, what's yours? And I'll give mine, too.
0: Mm, I feel the same way. Like, I definitely mooch. It, I feel like it's constantly changing, and it's less about the service and more about what the service has mm-hmm. in terms of shows. And so although i like some of the like elements in netflix um yeah i tend to not like netflix cuz they keep it mostly netflix and i don't like that i don't know i'm everywhere like prime video like netflix i don't really like hulu that much but i'll use it sometimes but seinfeld's on netflix now so i think i'm going to be on netflix for oh there you go a hot minute <laughs> <laughs>
2: right and then for me um i actually pay for a lot of mine but luckily student prices are coming in clutch because like who's <laughs> included with spotify student um i and that a for a partner uses that so i get that from her um but then apple tv comes with app like apple music which is what i use but obviously again student price um so very nice god so bless that yeah <laughs> um But my favorite would probably have to be HBO Max or Hulu. I think Hulu is just super well-priced, and then some of their their catalog is also very interesting. I think especially for, like, sitcoms. um, Like, I'm watching It's Always Sunny right now Mm. on Hulu, and it's great that it's just, like, 14 seasons that shows on it. Um, But I feel like I've also just spent a lot of time on Hulu recently, just loving a lot of the new content that they put out, Only murders in the Building. But then for movies, not shows, um, I think HBO Max, I watch a lot of like movies from right. the 60s, like 70s and even 50s and even 40s. And then just I think HBO has a really good catalog of old movies. Like I watched Casablanca for the first time like a few months back and that was on HBO. So
1: I feel conflicted with Hulu because it has commercials, which I can't stand. Like it would be one thing if it were a different commercial but it's the same commercial every oh single time. Like I have these commercials memorized.
0: Which commercial are you talking about?
1: It's always the one where, the, where you've got the one guy who's trying to teach people how to not become like older parents or like their parents, oh. which I, I love. The, yeah, progressives, which I, I do love those commercials, but it's like, all right, I've seen this one like 20 <laughs> times. Can we please get some variety?
0: For me, it's the Carvana one. And they only have one. I will literally... I I can't get into it. It's it's too much.
2: (laughs) I keep getting... And this one's a little weird. I don't know why it's recommended to me. But I keep getting Fexy, which is a birth control thing. Why do Um, you keep getting that? On Hulu? (laughs) Yeah, on Hulu. And and it's a really good ad. It's actually one of the best ads I've seen in a while. But besides that... I'm going to send the link. I feel like everyone needs to watch it because it's such a good ad, but I hate getting it more than once. I have it, like, right. memorized. Uh, um. It has Annie Murphy from Schitt's Creek. So, like, it, it, it's cool, like, seeing her and other stuff now. But it's such a, like, I'm just like, why am I getting that ad? <laughs> Especially because it's, like, it, it's female birth control. It's not even, like, male birth control, but it is what it is.
0: Okay, last question for you. This is a tough one sock sock shoe shoe or sock shoe sock shoe
1: what sort of sociopath does sock shoe sock shoe okay why is that the only (laughs) answer we (laughs) get what okay so who do you know somebody who does that like
0: we've had someone
1: on Oh no. Okay. Well I apologize. I don't want to understand, but No,
0: <laughs> no, no. Also, no, she... stop
1: doing sock shoe sock shoe. Like obviously it's sock sock shoe shoe. Like that's that's like uh that's like saying like you put you know shirt on before pants. Like <laughs> it's just not
0: Okay, to be fair, I agree with you on the first point, but I've been known to put my shirt on before pants sometimes. <sighs>
1: Hey, I guess that maybe that is less of a big deal. I don't know. The sock, shoe, sock, shoe. is like, yeah. well, you can have a shoe on before you even have anything on the other foot.
0: And then you're like a different height.
1: You're like floating yeah. mm-hmm. with
0: one of your legs.
2: <laughs> I think the person that... Oh, wait, never mind. That was, was Zara the one that said... I think so. I think she said that because of, like, she used to be a soccer player, so she would have to put on shin pads too, so she was just super used to putting on... I, even then, I feel like you'd want to put both shin pads on and then the shoe. Interesting.
0: Yeah, I don't know. Okay, well, thank you so much, Matt, for joining us, for talking to us about from design systems to Figma to literally everything. Um, Yeah, it's been great to have you on. Um, What a pleasure.